0: Let's turn to Acts chapter 10, verses 36 to 48, which is the story we'll be looking at a little later of Peter um, sharing the gospel um, in the household of Cornelius, the centurion. Acts 10, 36 to 48, which is on, if you're using the Bible in the seat back in front of you, that should be page 779. Recently someone who prays for CBC regularly told me that as they were praying They had a picture of a tree with deep strong roots growing under this building and And it was growing and it was straining and then it was bursting out of this log cabin spreading out branching out producing fruit everywhere and Boy, I don't know about you, but that's my longing for CBC now, what will it take for that to happen? Well, among other things, it will take power. It will take uh, the power that comes from prayer, the power that comes from the Holy Spirit, the power that comes from the gospel. And the power of the gospel is what I want to talk about this morning. When I was in college, I memorized Romans 1.16, which says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel is powerful, and to achieve that, to achieve all that God intends for us in the coming days, we are going to need to grab hold of the powerful gospel and let it grab hold of us. So, here's the question I'd like us to uh, think about together this morning: What is the gospel? literally gospel means good news. So what is the good news that is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes? Well, if you're like me, you've heard the gospel in church services lots of times. You may even have uh, taken a training class once where you were trained in how to share the gospel. And, And here's how I was trained to share it. Tell me if this sounds familiar. First, there's God. God created us and everything else. God is great, God is holy, God is good. Second, there are we humans. God made us in his image, his glory, um, but we turned away from God. We rebelled and and sinned, uh, neglecting God, and so we are not holy. And as a result of that sin, we're now separated from God. In fact, Scripture says the wages of sin is death physical death and eternal death. And so because of our sin, we'll one day die and and face God's judgment and punishment for our sins. Third, though, Christ came. God is loving. God didn't want us to have to go to hell to face God's judgment. So Jesus, the son of God, lovingly died in our place. Jesus died on a cross for your sins and and for mine so that we can be reconciled to God, can have a personal relationship with God, and can spend eternity with God. To prove it, Christ rose from the dead. And and this forgiveness is a free gift of grace. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. It's a free gift. All you have to do is receive it. And so forth, we need to respond. How do you receive God's grace? Well, you repent of your sins, telling God you're sorry for the bad things that that you've done, said, and thought. And you turn away from those and you resolve to try not to do them in the future with God's help. And you put your faith in Christ, believing that his death on the cross takes away your sins and reconciles you to God. And you can pray a simple prayer to do that right now. Um, And if you do, then we rejoice with you and we encourage you to start praying, uh, reading your Bible, and finding a good Bible-believing local church to attend. Does that sound familiar? That's a wonderful message, right? Um, And it's all true, and it's all very, very important. But guess what? It's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's not the message that Paul said was the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It's not the good news Jesus commanded his followers to preach to all nations. And if you read the book of Acts, it's not the message the apostle preached in city after the apostles preached in city after city around the Roman Empire. Now I have some explaining to do, I realize. <laughs> It's certainly not the message that Jesus preached. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus came preaching the gospel everywhere he went, but he never put it this way. Now, again, it's all absolutely true. It's all biblical. It's centrally important. But according to the Bible, when you stop and look into it, it's not the gospel. Well, then what is it? (laughs) Well... It's a summary of the theology developed by Luther and Calvin and the other reformers as they dug into the scriptures during and after the Protestant Reformation. It's all that good theology from the Bible, boiled down, simplified to the simplest possible summary, and then packaged and soundbited in America for an entrepreneurial, market-driven culture, so that ordinary people could quickly and easily be trained to share their beliefs in a five minute conversation to invite other people to become Christians. Well, that's the amazing thing, right? It works, it's, this evangelistic presentation is wonderfully true, it, it's a vitally important message and God in his grace used it in my life, as in many of yours and people you know and love, to, um, to introduce them to God to transform their lives but it's not the gospel. And in fact, to leave the message as it is and to share it as if it is the whole gospel is actually to send a problematic and a flawed message. Now, hear hear me out on this. Let's think about this. When researchers poll Americans, do you realize they still find that well over half of all Americans at one point in their life make a personal decision to accept Christ. Often in response to a presentation very much like this one. Over half of Americans, it's hard to believe, isn't it? And the reason it's hard to believe is because there's so little evidence in many of these people's lives that accepting Jesus made any difference. After all, only 25% of Americans even attend church regularly, and of those in churches, many of them don't take their faith seriously in their daily lives. So what does all this show? Well, uh, among other things, it shows that this evangelistic presentation is good at getting decisions for Christ, but it's not very effective in a lot of cases in leading people to actually live out those decisions in following Christ. After all, it makes everything else besides um, personally receiving Jesus's forgiveness, it makes everything else optional and secondary in a way. And so as it turns out, a lot of people must be just taking the forgiveness and leaving everything else behind. And so there's, um, well, here's here's the hidden dark side of, of this evangelistic presentation, the way it's often presented that we often don't like to think about. And that is that despite all the good it's done and all the people it's led into a life-transforming relationship with God, because God does use this message. It's true. It's from his word. Yet, this way of going about it has, and articulating it has also contributed to a culture of nominal Christianity and half-hearted churches with uh, many pew sitters who outside of Sunday morning pretty much live like everybody else. And even worse, this presentation and the way it's often presented has, in fact, inoculated millions of people against any interest in the real gospel, which is, in fact, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, a power which could transform and unleash our church like a mighty oak tree bursting forth, spreading out from this log cabin. So now that I've gotten myself in hot water, (laughs) or at least got your attention, um, if this evangelistic presentation isn't the gospel, then what is the gospel, right? Well, for starters, has it ever struck you that uh, what the first four books of the New Testament are called? The gospel, according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, according to John. That should tell us something. The gospel is the story of Jesus as told by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then as proclaimed in cities all over the Roman Empire by the apostles. Do you want to know what the gospel is? Well, read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke, read John, or hang around CBC for the next number of months because starting next Sunday, we're going to be immersing ourselves in the gospel according to Luke. But we can make the gospel simpler than than having to read a whole book of the Bible because when the apostles proclaimed the gospel they They didn't tell the whole story in every detail every time as we have it in the gospel accounts But rather they summarized they hit key points and they explained their significance if you uh, follow the daily readings in your bulletin then you read in last week's bulletin a number of these gospel proclamations that the apostles uh, gave. Um, And and I thought today we could look at one example, which is um, the one that Peter preached, his preaching of the gospel to Cornelius the centurion in the household, in uh, Cornelius' household in Acts 10. All right, so in this gospel presentation, as we look at it now in Acts 10, was read for us earlier. First, Peter begins with Jesus' life. In verse 38, Peter tells how Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Then second and third, Peter goes on to tell of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. Verse 39, they killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead. Then fourth, Peter proclaims that Jesus ascended to heaven to reign as Lord and judge over all. Verse 42, Christ is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And then fifth and sixth, Peter concludes that all of this happened according to the Old Testament scriptures, according to the prophets, and for our sins. Verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name that in summary form is the gospel now let's unpack that and i want to take it in reverse order so we can see more fully number six jesus came and lived and died and rose and reigns for the forgiveness of our sins Now, this is the part that the the evangelistic presentation we looked at earlier gets right. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Isn't that good news? The only correction I think the apostles would, would offer us is how we think of sins, because we are so steeped in individualism today that we automatically think about our individual sins and individual salvation from these sins. And it's right to think about individual sins, but the gospel is about more than that. People in Bible times had much more of a sense of the corporate systemic nature of sin. If you remember back to last summer, we were looking at the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And you might remember that the Old Testament ends with God's people still basically in exile because of their sins. Yes, God brought, had brought them back from captivity in Babylon, but the gloriousness of the renewal of of all that God had promised them never quite panned out. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah tried to reform the people, but they kept going back to their sins. Um, Many exiles remained scattered far away from the promised land. They hadn't come back. Um, Those in the land continued to suffer, as the years went by under various pagan empires, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, then the Romans. And so the Old Testament story ends on a pessimistic note with God's people still looking for, still needing to be saved from their sins and the consequences of those sins. And so when the New Testament begins with the gospel announcement that Jesus came to bring salvation and forgiveness of sins, sure, it's about each person's individual story and their personal sins, but just as much and even more, it's about their sins as a people and their need for forgiveness and salvation as a people. You can see I've already gotten back up into point five, and that is that all this happened according to the scriptural story. So let's look at that now because you can't understand Jesus and you can't understand the gospel without understanding how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament story. That story of course begins with God creating a good world and creating men and women to rule over it according to God's guidance and will. But quickly things get off track, right? We looked at Genesis earlier this fall. Humanity chose to rebel against God and to take charge of, of themselves, to do it their own way. And this rebellion unleashed a floodgate of trouble and chaos and, and darkness and strife and brokenness into the world. But God didn't give up on his creation. No, God began to work through a couple named Abraham and Sarah to bring about restoration and reconciliation for the whole world, beginning through this couple. God promised to bless Abraham and Sarah and through their descendants to bless all the nations. That salvation plan we saw several weeks ago really began to get on track in the time of Moses. God used Moses to lead Abraham's descendants, who were now numerous, out of slavery in Egypt to form them into a nation under God so that they would live out God's good law and and be a shining light on a hill to the nations. Then later the story climaxes when David, a man after God's own heart, becomes king and leads Israel into a a golden age where where the, the calling of Israel just begins to flourish in the world. But it doesn't last because the people of Israel have this bad habit of always reverting back to a posture of not trusting God, of not loving God, of not obeying God, of of going their own way. And so, fast forward, and that's how we, we got to the time of Nehemiah and Ezra at the end of the Old Testament when the people were basically back in bondage for their sins. And they're waiting. Because God, through his prophets, has promised them a Messiah, a, a Christ, an anointed one, like David, only better, who, who will once and for all save them from their sins and make them a blessing so that through them all the nations of the earth can finally be blessed and experience God's salvation. And it's against that backdrop, it's against those scriptures and those prophetic promises that we are to understand the gospel about Jesus, the Christ. Sure, Jesus came to offer each one of us personal salvation and and forgiveness from our personal sins. I am so glad that he did. But we do violence to the gospel if that's all that we say the gospel is. Oh, the gospel contains so much more good news than that. The gospel is about how King Jesus, son of David, is establishing God's kingdom, leading the restoration of all things for all nations and all creation. To limit salvation to our own personal life is actually to reinforce the kind of self-centeredness that Jesus desperately wants to save us all from. Are you following me? This leads us back to point four. Jesus reigns as Lord over all. You know, only a few times in the New Testament is Jesus referred to as Savior, and Jesus is Savior. But again and again and again, Jesus is declared Lord. And we don't call Jesus, Jesus Savior, though, of course, he is. But what do we call him? Jesus Christ, right? And Christ, you know, right, is not Jesus' last name. It's his kingly title. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has now taken his throne and begun to reign. And one day, Christ will be victorious over all the other kingdoms of this world which ignore God or give God mere lip service while pursuing their own agendas because God's way isn't the way of using people to get power or of pursuing progress and prosperity at all costs for the haves while leaving the have-nots behind. No, God's way is the way of, of the king, the head honcho, giving up his life for the sake of his people and for the sake of his whole creation. And because the The kingdoms of of this earth are bent on on practically the opposite. They're bent on selfishness and will to power. Christ will one day judge each kingdom and each person and set all things right. But in the meantime, Christ is inviting everyone to become a part of his kingdom, his people, his alternate society. And so the gospel is the call to live under the kingship of Christ seeking his kingdom and pursuing it. Sure, the gospel is about where we go when we die, but just as much it's about learning to live the life of heaven now in the kingdom of heaven. Because all the other kingdoms are going to fall, but God's kingdom is going to last forever. And when Jesus came, that kingdom began, and Jesus now reigns as Lord over that kingdom. Which leads us back to point three, Jesus' resurrection. Question. According to the Old Testament, when were people supposed to rise from the dead? Well, at the end of history. So, when Jesus was raised from the dead, do you know what the apostles concluded, rightly? They concluded that the end of the world had arrived, at least for Jesus. (laughs) That the old age in Jesus was passing away and that the new age was actually beginning. The new age, the kingdom of God, the new creation that they were longing for and looking forward to was when the dead would be raised God's spirit would be poured out as we saw happened on Cornelius and his household in the story we read this morning as the gospel was proclaimed and that the Messiah would reign. That was the new creation, the, the new age, the kingdom of God. And the gospel is the good news that that new age has begun in Jesus. And that's the, go- that's the good news that Jesus announced right from the start of his ministry, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. Of course, none of it panned out exactly as expected by Jesus' followers. Because the old age is still hanging around, isn't it? But in Jesus, and with Jesus, and through Jesus, the new age has begun. And what is that new age supposed to be like? Well, look at the book of Revelation. All sickness and suffering is gone. Every tear is wiped away. Every chain and shackle falls off. Every brokenness is healed. Every wrong is made right. God's people dwell with God in in unity. And and so moving up to point one now, that's what Jesus' life and ministry were all about. Jesus' life was about establishing the, the new kingdom of heaven and forming the new people of God who would live in it. And how did Jesus do it? Well, he started healing the sick and uh, freeing the captives, and, and loving the unlovely, and restoring the outcasts back into relationship with God's people, forgiving the sinners, reconciling them to God. And then Jesus began to teach his followers to do the same thing and told them to teach others. Among this new people that Jesus was forming, heaven was coming to earth, the glorious future was pouring back into the now. And so the gospel declares that the reign of Jesus the Lord and all the goodness of heaven is beginning to be available now. We don't have all of it yet, but it's beginning to become available. Through Jesus, who is present among his people, whom Jesus is calling together and baptizing with his spirit to follow him and to live as citizens of his new kingdom. Is this starting to sound like good news? Well, this leads us finally to the second point, Jesus' death on the cross. This is where the gospel becomes a scandal and an offense, as Paul said it regularly was when he preached it. Because every other kingdom knows what you have to do to succeed. Just ask Walmart and Amazon, or just ask the U.S. government. You need resources. You need power. You have to uh, stay a step ahead of the competition if you want to get ahead and stay ahead. And so, you of course pursue every diplomatic solution first, but you have to be ready and able to use force when necessary, whether it be military force or economic force. But not in Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is a king who won his decisive victory to secure and establish his kingdom. On a cross. And, and this isn't mere sentimentality. No, this is for real. Jesus really bids all who would follow him, all who would be a part of his kingdom, to take up our crosses. For love is his greatest command, and his aim is peace. In Jesus' kingdom, the greatest then are those who serve, those who are weak who turn the other cheek, who are persecuted. And Jesus warns the rich and the powerful, especially we'll see in Luke, in Luke's version of the Beatitudes, to humble themselves and to be generous to the poor and and the weak, lest the rich and the powerful be shut out of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom and the way of God's people is the way of the cross. And this is good news because this is the way God treats us. And this is where the the evangelistic presentation uh, a lot of us grew up with comes in again. Because though God has every right and, and every ability to punish us and to crush us for our disobedience, God chose not to retaliate, not to overpower us, but instead to humbly offer himself to us in love. God took our punishment and our suffering on himself on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled to God. So that we could be welcomed into his kingdom as members of his own family, children of a father who loves us deeply and cares for us richly. So how do we respond to this good news? Well, again, this evangelistic presentation has it it right, at least in the words it uses, to respond, we repent and we believe. Um, but repentance is more than just confessing and turning away from whatever sins we can think of. No, repentance means learning a whole new way of life. It it means um, accepting citizenship in a whole new kingdom. When we repent, everything begins to change. And, And we peel away from the crowd and we live a completely new way of life in a completely different kind of community. And we get baptized as an expression of this, this change that's taking place, as, as Peter instructed uh, Cornelius and his household to, to have done. And belief in Jesus is more than just intellectually agreeing that it would be nice to accept Jesus and have our sins forgiven so that we don't have to go to hell. No, to believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord is to live for Jesus, to follow Jesus as he teaches us how to live in this new kingdom. It's to say, okay, Jesus, you're the king. Here we go. Show me how to live this thing. I'm in. So that's the gospel. Does that sound familiar? A lot of that from the Bible? Yeah. That's the gospel. It's the story of Jesus, it's the message that the apostles proclaimed. It's the powerful message which established and grew the early church and utterly transformed the Roman Empire in the course of 300 years. It took me about 15 minutes to tell it here this morning. So now here's the question. What will it take to see the power of the gospel unleashed in and through CBC? Well, imagine if when new people came to believe in Jesus, imagine if this is what they were signing up for. Not just having their sins forgiven so that they could go to heaven when they die and everything else is optional. But yes, having their sins forgiven, having their eternity with God secured, and also through Jesus realizing that God is catching them up and involving them in the transformation of all things. Wouldn't that be great to have people like that signing up? <laughs> well, here's the question. Is that what you signed up for? Is that why you're here? Now, for those of us who are fairly new to CBC, there's, there's time and room to get to know this Jesus and to find out his story uh, before deciding if you want to make it your story. Because while the gospel life is the most rewarding life you can imagine, it's also in some ways the most demanding. And those of us who've been going to church for years, I I hope this sermon begins a conversation about what the gospel is. I I haven't said the last word. and uh, There's a lot of questions and things to wrestle through. Um, Because I know many of us have assumed that the evangelistic presentation that I mentioned earlier was the gospel, period. Um, And it's not that it doesn't contain part of the gospel, but that it leaves out too much and perhaps doesn't get the story quite told in the right way. Um, And and so maybe the gospel, as I presented it this morning, isn't uh, what we all signed up for. (laughs) Um, Because we signed up to have our sins forgiven so that we could go to heaven. And now I'm saying the gospel is calling us to a whole new way of life, a whole new set of allegiances, a whole nother mission. And so we may need to wrestle with that, to ask questions, to raise objections, to wrestle in our own hearts. Um, And and so for all of us, I've put a few resources in our bulletins on a light blue insert to help us better get to know what the gospel is. Those readings from last week's bulletin are in there again, as well as some articles, videos, a couple books. Some of the articles are available out in the foyer. Um, You can take a look at that. Uh, But before I, I close, one final thought on sharing the gospel. Have you heard the saying that the medium is the message? The medium is the message. For example, when I wanted to propose to Anne, I didn't scribble it on a piece of scrap paper or send it in an email. No, no, I took her for a fun day at the shore. It was a surprise, actually. We had a fun day at the beach. We went to dinner together. Then we went for a romantic walk on the beach at sunset. And then I popped the question. The medium is the message. (laughs) And she said yes. (laughs) the medium is the message that's why we don't serve fine wine in dixie cups or uh, you can't buy caviar from a vending machine because the medium is the message and so it is with sharing the gospel so question what's the medium which would best convey what the gospel is about a satellite broadcast a a hit-and-run encounter uh, a stadium event or how about a community of people who are experiencing and living out the reality of this good news whose life together is a living taste and an example of what this new kingdom is that Jesus came to bring I don't know about you but if I was feeling at all weary and jaded with the world and its what its kingdoms had to offer and I heard this wild rumor that there was another alternative kingdom being set up in town by some guy named Jesus. And that there were people following this Jesus together and they were experiencing that heaven had come close. And that God had drawn near to them and was available, that God was loving the unlovely and putting the broken back together and embracing sinners. I might be skeptical that it was really all that. But but if I was at all interested, what would I want to know? I, I'd, I'd want to know, can I come and see if this is real? Um, can I meet people who love each other this way? Uh, people who are being healed and, and set free, their, their lives transformed. People who have a personal relationship with God that's changing their lives. Can I experience a, a community where former enemies are now reconciled and living in unity? And then if I got a taste of it and it was real, then I'd want it explained to me. How could this be happening? Who is this guy, Jesus? The medium is the message and God's people are supposed to be the medium. And that's what what we're experimenting with, with missional communities we're, um you know, we realize that we can't do all of this and be all of this on a Sunday morning alone And we suspect that missional communities might be an excellent way to to learn to live the gospel and to give people a taste of the gospel. Um, They might be an ideal medium to convey the message of the gospel. Because the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation. And salvation isn't just getting on the bus. Salvation is where the bus is going once you get on. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. This gospel, the biblical gospel, I believe, is powerful enough to make our church, like that tree, mighty, growing, bursting out of this log cabin. Wouldn't you love to be a part of it?